women founders benefit from the same content and programming and resources and networks that every other founder, which includes raising money, which includes um, connecting and, um, as you said, learning skills and, and tools uh, and, and how things work. So that's available to everyone. Hey, Noela, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So uh, we, we actually just, uh, uh, this is our take two, because our, our, our first try at this, we got a, a technical issue. So we're going to roll, roll back right into what we we're talking about, which is a little bit of your background. Um, and, and the reason for that, uh, uh, you know, I'll tie in uh, some of the things that we mentioned previously uh, that weren't recorded. But um Starting with the, you know your background uh, you, as an immigrant, um, you, you mentioned you uh, have a little experience of being a founder, and, uh, and now you're, that you're servicing founders, that's pretty important. Can uh, let's start with that. Um, you're, you're an immigrant from Morocco, and uh, go ahead. Yeah, I I, uh, I came from Morocco when I was 17 uh, years old, and uh, I I actually started off uh, as you know joining my first tech startup when I was around mm-hmm. 23. And then after a couple of years, I joined the DMZ, uh, mainly working with women entrepreneurs, but I also was involved in projects with with uh, entrepreneurs in general. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the, the founder piece, actually, that came after, uh, I wasn't a founder when I joined the DMZ. Uh, I started my own company a couple of years into, so a couple of years ago. Gotcha. That's really cool. So um, let's talk about innovation and, and how you see it. Uh, what drew you to this industry? Um, so like initially, right from the beginning. Yeah. So again, I I mentioned, I I studied political science, which has nothing to do with anything, uh, what I'm doing. Uh, but the, the, the tech startup that I joined that initially really drew me is that they were doing, uh, um, solving some problems that, um, that I would have loved to solve that were actually, you know, social and, um, also involved kind of like global challenges. And so, um, I think innovation is one of the best ways to solve complex problems that we weren't able to to solve them in other ways. That's what, what really drew me to that. Definitely, um, I think innovation has uh, changed a lot. You know, um, as we see it, before it was seen as like you know people working in a lab somewhere, you know, developing the next Tylenol or like the, the vaccines. Like it was like a heavy science kind of feel to it. Now it seems like anyone can just spin up a company and start working on problems that they really care about. And learn about how to, uh, you know, how to position themselves, how to find a market, how to how to deploy, how to hire. Like all these resources are becoming more and more available. Uh, do you think the future of work is entrepreneurship? Is it is it that everyone's going to start spinning up their own companies, or is it only for like a very few, special few? Well, I'm biased, so obviously yeah. my answer is going to be uh, yes. The future of work is entrepreneurship, um, and and honestly, there isn't anyone I speak to that doesn't say I would love to start my own company, and that's an amazing thing. Uh, I love it personally. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about the the DMZ for a bit because DMZ has like grown spectacularly. Um, it's become like the 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 the, the, the home brand name of like of. Uh, of incubators and accelerators in, in Canada. Uh, you know, when you think about incubators, people think DMZ, it's almost become one and the same. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the behind the scenes of that growth looks like? Yeah, I think, um, 
you know, first of all, we work as a startup ourselves. Uh, we are a pretty lean team and we've worked with hundreds and hundreds of entrepreneurs. Um, I think one of the things that, that may be part of like the secret sauce of the DMZ is putting founders first. Whatever it is we do, it's founders first, not companies, not um, not uh, growth founders specifically. Uh, and so we really go wherever they go, whatever problems they have, we try to solve those problems on, on every level. So I think, you know, maybe that's that's really what's what's happening behind the scenes. And of course, what's happening around the world is also helping a lot. A lot of people around the world are re realizing that entrepreneurship and innovation is really the solution to many, many things. Uh, and, you know, the DMZ has been doing that for a while. So also right place, right time, you know, helps a lot. That's my perspective. Yeah, uh, it seems to me like uh, the DMZ is always changing. Uh, I remember, I think it was like last year, the, the, the CEO announced that it's going to become like a more of an incubator and uh, focus more on early stage companies. Uh, and it was very surprising, like uh, some, you know, uh, uh, something the size and the scale of DMZ with the amount of companies they deal with, it can just shift, it, shift and pivot like that, almost like a startup, right? Like, uh, like you mentioned. Uh, one of the interesting things about that is that it gives a little bit of degree of freedom um, when you're trying to decide uh, where you're trying to go to, when you can be nimble and swift. You know, how does it work? I feel like working in such an environment like that, where uh, it's it's less of a corporate culture, more of a agile culture. Yeah, no, it's definitely startup mode. Um, so again, as I mentioned, we are, we do work as a startup and, and absolutely even, you know, when, when the pandemic came, obviously that impacted so many people. And I, and I personally was impressed by how fast, how swift, I think the tech community in general was very swift with that because we could, you know, become virtual um, fairly quickly rather than, in, in, you know, more than other industries. But I remember, you know, overnight we were home, not only were we transitioning everything, but we were coming up with initiatives that helped address. So I remember the DMZ came up with hack the curve, like literally mm. within days. And then now we're all trying to hack the curve, which is, you know, the pandemic curve, the, the flatten the curve. Uh, and that's just one of the many, many initiatives. Of course, there was also the Black Innovation Program, which was happening um, a, a while back. But then, of course, 2020 was a big year um, for that as well. Um, Women Founders has been going on for years and years, but but um, we needed to come up with a new structure, uh, you know, post-pandemic, especially that women were um, were affected disproportionately. Um, and so we needed to come up not only with new content and new programming, but the new format, right? So, yeah, it is exciting. Yeah. Um, you know, speaking of that, um, uh, you know, uh, this new uh, this uh, stream uh, for our female founders, uh, when was it established? Um a while back, um, I, I know when I was um, uh, when I was when I came at the DMC, there was uh, the team was working had already done um, women founders initiatives before my time, uh, and then when I joined, I also joined at a, a really great time where we were just kicking off a brand new initiative, and we doubled down our efforts there, um, and and uh, we've done uh, we started off with the DMC Women Founders Accelerator which was an incredible uh, program that we ran um, for founders uh, in Canada, which included a trip to the U.S. We successfully raised money in the U.S., uh, attended the Female Founders Conference of Y Combinator, um, and, and, and also deployed some non-dilutive funding to the participating founders. Uh, but then again, it evolved so much, and what we have today is completely different from what we had you know, four years ago. 
uh, when I just joined the DMZ. Interesting. Random, random question. Is this meant for, so the definition of female and, and gender is kind of shifted now, right? Like, is it for people who identify as female? Um, how do you, how does the selection process work? Yeah, that's a good question. So we use the term woman uh, because it is uh, the person identifies as woman. Uh, we, uh, so we, we actually don't use the term female. Uh, it's irrelevant to us. It, what is relevant mm-hmm. is if you identify as a woman. Um, and, and that's it. And no questions asked. Um, yeah. Interesting. Uh, can you speak to uh, the unique challenges female founders face? Yes. Um, so women founders face a number of challenges. Uh, some challenges are universal to entrepreneurs in general, uh, which include <laughs> growing, uh, selling, raising money, finding the, per- the your product market fit. All those are incredible challenges that entrepreneurs uh, face. Um, nothing unique about that. Um, in terms of additional barriers um, women entrepreneurs face, they range. And it's really a mix of all of that that creates this like this 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 big barrier that women entrepreneurs face. Uh, I would start off with the funding, really. I mean, if we just look at the stats, uh, it, it usually isn't more than, you know, uh, I think the last stat I read was 2.3% of VC money went to, uh, to women founders, mm-hmm. which is... Um, it's not very good, right? Um, and and there's a number of reasons for that uh, that takes me, and, and it's actually worse for for uh, uh, specific women founders, uh, for, such as uh, women founders of color, uh, black women founders. Um, so those barriers are different for different women founders too. Um, what, something else that I think is really, really important is also, you know, the network. Um, what's What's happening is actually, the same capital goes to the same people, um, the same venture capitalists uh, benefit from the same exits, reinvest in the same people, and, and that's it. And that's the circle. And you can imagine how many people are locked out of those net- networks. And so the, the, the idea is here, how can we break those, those uh, closed circles and make them more diverse and more inclusive? So access to network becomes extremely important. Um, uh, access to funders who are dedicated to um, to in- investing in women founders become extremely important as well. And then, of course, there's like your uh, and just your networks, your contacts is really important. As you know, network is your net worth and access to resources. Better policies is also something. Better accommodations uh, like childcare is really really expensive, and you can imagine a parent entrepreneur <laughs> having that additional. Uh, barrier uh, on them as well. So it's a number of, of, of factors, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, a unique term that I came across uh, recently that, that was, that's really interesting is that um, founders have to learn to productize their companies, not just a product, right? Um, off, like the idea being that um, being focused on just product or, or, or the service you deliver is is one part of the struggle. The other part is learning how to make your company look attractive to investors and uh, and how to sell that. 
And oftentimes for new incumbents coming into that, like you think you focus on the product and service, what your customers buy, but you don't know there's a different mechanism or different lens that investors uh, look at your company as, like the operational side, um, from how the engineering looks like to the sales and, and marketing to your finances and accounting, all these different unique skills that has to be learned by a founder when operating a company, uh, not just delivering a product or service. And I think one of the unique challenges to that is people who uh, don't have access to seeing how companies have run historically or, or are having access to that kind of knowledge or the access to, uh, to that education have to, ha- have to compile that. And what's unique about, uh, you know, programs like, like the programs offered by the DMZ is that it kind of speeds up this delivery of this program. Right, but each stream uh, that you, uh, that that's created by accelerated incubators are meant for for different things. So ones like some most things are like industry specific, right? Like hardware tech companies can go to a specific stream. Uh, you know, uh, like you know, uh, I think healthcare tech companies will can go to a particular stream, right? But when it comes to like uh, like a f- a female founders and um, and that being the stream where it's specific to uh, the unique challenges coming out of there. Is the programming any specifically different? Um, is it is it just more about the mentorship coming from uh, more females that drives really the value there, or is there any 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 kind of changes to the syllabus? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So, you know, as I mentioned, um, the barriers that entrepreneurs face, many of them are universal. Like yeah. fundraising is hard. Period. Yeah. Selling is hard. Period. You still have to make your your unit economics work. You mm. still have to make your CAC and LTV work. Um, so that's why our most recent form of programming has actually been a stream of women founders programming within the core programming. And so we're not separating, we're not creating silos because we don't want to isolate, you know, people we're trying to help from, from the rest of everyone else. And so women founders benefit from the same content and programming and resources and networks and every other founder, which includes raising money, which includes um, connecting and, um, as you said, learning skills and, and tools uh, and, and how things work. So that's available to everyone. And be, by participating in a Women Founders program, you are not opting out of the core program. Mm. Now, what we do is because we recognize that there are additional barriers for, um, you know, to access networks, uh, to add, that will you know actually open doors for you to access funding. We have additional programming and additional support to level the playing field. And so what we'll do is, um, so for example, we will have uh, concentrated efforts in in a concerted effort in in uh, in bringing women in VC who are really laser focused on funding women. So that's one way of kind of bridging that gap, right? That two. 0.3% or, or whatever the, the stat is right now and helping increasing it a little bit further. Mm-hmm. Um, how's, uh, you know, so since last year, especially last year, there's been an implosion of a lot of more programming, uh, not just for female founders, but for minority founders. You know, there seems to be a lot more push in our industry to equalize things uh, by making things program specific. Have you, do you feel that this has moved the needle? Uh, do you feel that there are more female founders now, more minority uh, founders out uh, now? Uh, do you feel like it's because of the support structure or more feel motivated to kind of get out there because they're seeing, um, you know, more like-minded individuals out there? Yeah, so 
I have, um, I believe there are some stats out there that indicate that there's definitely an increase in, in um, women founders and, and women who start their own businesses. I think, um, I, I can't uh, remember the stat right, right from my head, but there is a, uh, a, uh, some data that backs that up. So that's good news. Um, I think it really, yeah, to your point, it really does help to see people who look like you, um, you know, in positions of leadership and in, in positions of, of, of having attained success. Uh, it really sends a message consciously, unconsciously that you too, you belong here. Right. Uh, and it really kind of um, uh, it, it helps a lot. So I, I do agree with that. But still, there's a lot of work to be done. I mean, when you look at those numbers in terms of how much funding, that's that is um, it, it, it's, it's really a, it's a terrible stat. So there's a lot of room uh, for for more improvement, for sure. Mm hmm. In um, in tech, this is a this is a great story. Um about uh, what about how females uh like uh, were removed from the from the from from the uh, the engineering process um funny like you know the weirdly enough um programming as an industry was created by women because initially uh programming uh, coding you know telling machines what to do uh was was seen like a it was a female's job like a like almost like a secretary and uh it was like it was administrative right handling machines in 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 industry 1.0 uh, most of the coders were actually females, and even older than that, when machines were first being developed, uh, the first way to code in, uh, information was to string along like these uh, beads of like magnetic coils, and it was actually uh, female uh, weavers, like tailors, who like would actually make these uh, make these things that will actually be uh, like you know primitive code. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's why, like, uh, the, the, the code that was written for Apollo 11, all, all the Apollo missions going to the space by, 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 by women, right? Up until the 80s, when personal computers started coming out, uh, uh, programming um, as a industry was all female-led. But in the 80s, what changed was uh, PCs came out and started being marketed as gaming tools for boys. And uh, computers was a boy's tool. It no longer was like a like it was like a, a unisex thing, like a calculator. Uh, and and uh, what ended up happening for this was uh, it drove all this purchasing power towards uh, you know from like a, this tool that can use anybody uh, computers to oh this is meant for boys it's a boy's toy. And uh, by the time a few, uh, women were even able to touch a computer, it was usually generally around uh, a university or, or college. Um, men have been, you know, by the nineties were been playing with computers since they were 10 years old. So there suddenly became like a, a like a, a huge distance curve and in, uh, in like how people interact with technology. And it's one of the main reasons why women were removed from the, 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 the computer science, uh, computer science industry and the, and the world It was mainly about marketing and how things were, were communicated. It was less to do about intelligence, less to do about uh, about how things changed or the demands of the workforce or even demands of lifestyle. It was just how things were marketed and and and, and delivered to, uh, to people, right? So there's there's a huge push now to make sure things are like these ideas are taken into account, like how things are positioned, how things are are delivered, how, who's it meant for, the target audiences. Uh, we're much more uh, much more pristine, uh, more more calculated of this. Uh, but the damage kind of has been done in the computer science industry. Now, uh, now, uh, now, catch up is being played, right? Uh, what, what do you think are like cultural things holding us back from having a more e equitable society? 
um, rather than just um, the, the, the gateways being held back, like, do you feel that there's cultural divides, uh, especially as a minority female, that you feel that still exists? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, well, first of all, culture, is, uh, it, it uh, changes uh, based on, uh, you know, geographic location and also uh, different uh, groups and, and, and other factors like that. But in general, I think we can do a better job at, you know, right off the bat when women, girl, little girls go to school, that they are um, being taught and everyone else, not just little girls, um, that they they have all these opportunities and they don't need to be pursuing um, specific uh, occupations or specific jobs, uh, you know, it's also, this is why allies are really, really important, right? It's not just women. Uh, we, we need to be including men into the conversation. We need to be including uh, people who don't necessarily identify as women in the conversation uh, to, to help move that forward. So um, one of the reasons the pandemic has uh, actually disproportionately affected women is because um more women uh, took the back seat when it came to um, family responsibility and responsibilities at home. And so and and so why is that? I believe a lot of it is really is really cultural and really just unspoken expectations. How can we fight that? How can we address that to make sure that women don't always take a bigger responsibility in, in kind of like these places outside the workplace? So that's an example of how we can work together to kind of create a culture and an environment that is conducive to women's leadership and growth. Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, you know, a lot of things for us to uh, to work on and improve on as uh, a little culturally. Um, so moving forward about, you know, being a, being a founder in today's climate and uh, what the future holds, uh, you know, we, we were joking before about like entrepreneurship being the, the future of work, but I don't think uh, that's actually a joke. Like, I think that is the way things are headed. Uh, more and more the, of everyday tasks have been taken over by automation and, and, and thinking tools, right? Just like uh, physical jobs were, ta- uh, were taken away from factory level workers and automated away during, uh, you know, during the 40s and 50s. Um, we're now automating away a lot of like white collar jobs. Uh, a lot of thinking, uh, jobs that require a lot of thought. So what's next for humans to do is things that are uh, is building systems, right? Building scalable systems, building uh, problems that bringing building larger entities that can solve problems, aka companies. Uh, you know, it used to be that to make a company, a publicly traded company, you need a sophisticated uh, team to do that. You know, you need like a, a, an executive team with MBAs. You need like a lot of cash to be uh, ca- cash to be taken up. Um, it, it used to be a lot harder to make like a, 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 to scale a company, but now it seems like everybody is launching businesses that are getting capital, uh, getting, uh, you know, scaling upwards, getting uh, pro- the product uh, being actually bought up. It's less to do about, you know, the, the, the individual team and, and, uh, and uh, the knowledge base it has, but more about the ideas being, uh, being delivered and, and, and the mechanism being, uh, mechanism being utilized. It's, it's a more of a, a system that, you know, everyday people can do that. Like we see, High school students and middle school students entering pitch competitions. Uh, I think there are about like 300 uh, millionaires under the age of 14 in, in North America uh, right wow. now. You know, just know you know, creating. 
Yeah, so creating Fortnite skins, YouTube videos, doing all these things like there there's a, there's a the the barrier to entry into like the into high commerce and into in, into uh the, the innovation landscape has 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 decreased, right? Um, what are you seeing from that point of perspective? Are, are you seeing like uh, people from different backgrounds uh, enter the space, like uh, especially into your intake programs? Now that things are more virtual, are, are, are like are like more people applying to your programs? Or, uh, do you have a more wider radius of applications coming in? Well, definitely. Well, there's definitely more global um, applications coming in because now we're remote mm-hmm. completely. Um, there is, there are more you know what when we when we run programs um that are targeted to help specific individuals overcome specific barriers that they face uniquely we see more applications from there so in my this is why i think these programs work when we started doing women entrepreneurs program uh, programs we've seen an increase in women entrepreneur applications um, when we've, uh, I don't run the Black Innovation Fellowships, I can't speak specific numbers, but I do believe that when we ran, uh, I've witnessed a change of a, like a, a much larger number of applications from Black founders when we started running the Black Innovation programs. So absolutely, when you lower barriers for specific groups, they take advantage of them because again, as I mentioned, we're not, we're not, um, these people are as capable as everyone else. It's just a matter of bringing the resources, um, to them in terms of what you said about the bar- barrier, bar-, bar barrier being a little bit lower in terms of, uh, of entering, uh, you are right. It is more accessible. Um, you can start an e-commerce business, you know, um, ASAP. Uh, but again, it is the unconscious and the kind of informal rules that work in our society that can actually uh, um, kind of dictate whether specific groups can enter or not, right? Like, mm-hmm. for example, responsibilities at home, those are informal rules. Or, for example, access to capital, access to loans. There, there is, <laughs> there's data out there that show that people don't have uh, equal access to loans. Um, and, and so, and all of these are again, contributing to the success of your business. So even if there, yes, you are right. You can start a business. You can argue, you can start a business tomorrow. Um, there's absolutely, especially the barriers that you can't really see with your eyes are the ones that are dictating and orchestrating the entire, the entire scene. So you have to be really careful with that. I think. Yeah. Uh, can, can you share some insights? Um, can you talk about a few companies that have gone through the program and, uh, you know, any, any challenges they've overcome, uh, any highlights that you, uh, that you see? Uh, sure. So, I mean, there are so many, so many, uh, success stories. Um, but let me, uh, one story I, I, I've, I've told a couple of times, and it was from our Women Founders Accelerator program that we ran um, a couple of years ago. And I showed that because it's been a couple of years, so we can actually see retrospectively the kind of the impact is a company called Ratio City, uh, which is in, in uh, uh, real estate tech. Um, uh, Monica was an, was an architect and she joined the DMZ with really, um, it was an idea or a prototype. It was, it was just a prototype and with her co-founder, um, through the woman founders programs and, you know, 
after four months, um, during those four months of the program, we've done a number of things from, you know, uh, helping Monica kind of finalize her MVP to helping her secure her mm -hmm. first clients. It was really because of the woman founders kind of uh, trip to the United States where we were able to meet investors uh, that later on invested, mm -hmm. uh, meet customers. And Monica and Rachel City went through the entire it kind of like period at the DMZ from woman founders, incubation period, acceleration period. By the time they had graduated, they were they had already raised a million dollars. They were making monthly recurring re re revenue uh, that was healthy. And Amazing. also, um, I think they were like 15 people full time by the end of the DMZ. And that was like an incredible success story to see. Wow. Um, yeah. And of course, not every founder will. Sometimes we accelerate your failure, too, which is fine because then you can move on to something else. Uh, but we have seen, like, it's so incredible. I love, I love, you know, when I work with a founder and then I meet them a few months later or a year later or something. And then they're like, oh, we, and they were just an idea or a prototype or MVP. And now they've raised this much money. They've, they're making this much, they've grown. It's just an incredible feeling. It shows this is working, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I found that some of the best uh, programs, you know, uh, you know, go back and forth between this uh, dichotomy, right? One being um, like a like a, uh, a uh, like a supervisor cracking the whip, and a therapist holding the hand, right? You know, <clears throat> where um, in one point of view, you're putting up, hey, this is your milepost, these are your goals, uh, these are your goals, this is what you should be hitting. Either you set them or help them hit them, and then hold them accountable to those goals. And the other side is like you pretty much hand, hold their hand while things are going south and, uh, and make them feel good. And a lot of um, a lot of uh, programs are actually go in the extreme. Uh, we know some programs that are like set like crazy milestones and you hit them. Amazing. They're going to help you so much get capital and move forward. But if you don't, you're just uh, you'll be dropped from the program race. Right. And uh, and uh, good, better luck next time. Um, and other other programs are much more. It's okay, like you know, it's a, it's more a long term game. Uh, you'll you'll get better and uh, more the therapist role. Uh, and then you know, somewhere somewhere in that extreme, where do you find the, your program stream? Uh, do you do you find it follows more of a therapist role set, or does it is it more about the whip? Like like, hey, your goals are out here. You gotta you gotta get it. You gotta get there. I think it's good to have a healthy dose of both. Uh, you know, like a kick in the butt and the pat on the back and the pat on the back at the same time, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so uh, it, it's hard to tell, actually. So and, and you know what? Post pandemic, because we have introduced a number of stages for founders and we had those stages before, but I think we have more stages now, which allow for more people who fall off kind of fall short of a specific criterion to be uh, supported in another form of program, which is why the Women Founders Program is actually a four-stage program. Uh, we only had one stage program. Four-stage program, so Founders uh, Launchpad is you actually just have an idea, you're aspiring, and there's a number of like content that you can consume uh, and you get networking. There's the boot camp, which is your, you have a prototype and you are building that prototype where you're refining it. And then we have a bridge and the bridge is to help refine your product market, uh, you know, try to get to product market fit. And then you have the incubator. And mm -hmm. so by ha having those different stages, 
we are trying to make the program as accessible as possible while not compromising the actual quality and the time the time that you get because at the same time programs cannot be general they have to be super customized so you have to really find kind of like a really good you ha- you can't compromise that part that is just non-negotiable cool uh <laughs> you know, like you know, just like gun to your head, what would be like one favorite company that came through, and you were like, "Wow, these guys are doing some amazing things." Okay, I don't have favorite really. Ah, okay, yeah. that was a trick question. That could have got you in trouble. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> honestly, they're all there's there's companies where like you personally feel passionate about just because for whatever reason it's personal to you or you have an area of expertise but there's no yeah no no favorite sorry (laughs) (laughs) fair enough um what would you advise a you know that um like a a female founder why why would should they choose if they're looking between a female specific stream like your program versus a non-specific stream what would you recommend and why uh, so sorry, can you reframe that? You mean if you're looking yeah. for an incubator, pro, uh, sorry, an accelerator program, right? Uh, it, like, do you feel that for a female founder, is it, it would be would it be better to have a female specific program that they go through, or would it be a, a general program? Um, you know, do, is there a pros and cons to to the, to the two? Uh, do you have a preference that, that they should? Uh, you know, should that be a deciding factor between programs? Well, that's a good question. Um, although, if I thought it was better for women to just go through a general program that we wouldn't have any women founders programming. But yeah. uh, that's why, that's a good question though, because that's why we don't want women to miss out on the general programming. And so instead what we've done is you are, you don't have to choose. If you, uh, well, you can choose if you want to opt into women founders or, or not, but if you choose to opt in, it's a decision that's up to you, you will still benefit from the core programming. So you're not missing out on anything. You're getting additional customized support um, that is not really taken away from your time. Mm-hmm. But it's completely up to, to the founder, though. You know, when we just say we don't assume, we, first of all, we don't assume people are women uh, and we don't uh, and we don't uh, definitely don't automatically uh, put women founders into into a uh, the women founders. We always say. We have this, um, by the way, anyone who identifies can opt in and it's up to you. Uh, we've had women founders who don't opt in and that's totally fine. Yeah. So going back to this idea that everyone should be founders or everyone should look into entrepreneurship, I think about 10% of the population are naturally entrepreneurs. They're risk takers. They want to do something scalable. Uh, entrepreneurship does, is not, doesn't come naturally for everybody. It's like art doesn't come naturally for everybody or science or, or physical activity, right? How do, we, how do we encourage more entrepreneurship? Um, how do we, ta- how do we um, especially, for, especially for females, right? Like how do we encourage those who are thinking about entrepreneurship or those uh, considering it to pursue it? Do, mm. do we remove risks? Do, do you risk it? Uh, do we create a more of a culture of acceptance? Um. So I don't, I'm going to challenge you actually, but I don't know what you mean by, um, some people are naturally good at this. I do believe in strengths and weaknesses, mm. but I haven't, like, I've heard this before, but I'm not convinced that you're either an entrepreneur or you aren't. 
uh, I, I, I think that there are strengths and weaknesses and that that's why diversity is important because when you have a team that bring in different strengths um, and that complement other people's weaknesses, you get something magic happen. And then when there's um, uh, founder market fit, uh, so there's a passion for the specific problem they're solving and they're very, you know, they're, they, they're really, um, they don't give up. That's where the magic happens. So for me, the way I look at it is not, are you an entrepreneur or not? It's like, do you have the resources or not? Do you have, um, you know, do you have the passion for that specific mm. problem? And then do you have the resources? And sometimes um, you will have uh, barriers because of where you're from or how you look. And that's something that we combat. But then, of course, we can't do the work for you. Um, it's really the, the grit, I think, is really the universal, um, you know, trade uh, of someone. Uh, and when you have all these barriers, sometimes people get overwhelmed, right? So th that's really what my take on it. But of course, uh, many, I'm sure people disagree with me. <laughs> no, the, the, that's actually really interesting because uh, that's always been a debate, right? It's entrepreneurships. Is it a given talent or is it that's developed? Uh, can anybody do it or not? Uh, you know, are you an entrepreneur or not? That, that's actually been a, been a debate. So that's interesting. You, you take that kind of spectrum approach. Cool. Um, let, let, let's move on to... Uh, you know, actions, right? Like if someone viewing this wants to join the program, uh, what are things they should consider and uh, how, how can they apply? Yeah, I think, um, so th there are many, many, there are four, four, pro four stages to the program, as I mentioned. The newest one is uh, that we launched is the Women Founders Launchpad, uh, which uh, we thought we will do something very different. Uh, we want to do the format, want it to be different. We want the content to be different and the contributors to be different. So what we thought is we're actually going to launch an online platform for women founders by women founders. So we don't have people preaching something they haven't done. It's really a woman founder who has found success in a part of her in part of her journey and who's sharing that and the challenges she faced in bits and pieces of content. And so, for example, I mentioned Ratio City, Monica, she's in there. She contributed how exactly she raised her million, how she got to specific, um, you know, uh, monthly recurring revenue. Uh, and so founders can benefit from that content and at, a, at their own pace. It's online. It's accessible. So we are we hoping to address those other barriers by making it as such. And then also um, we have uh, monthly events only for Launchpad founders. So we're really building a strong community of leading women tech founders to discuss specific topics, get help and, and receive help. So how they can sign up for that is they can go to our, our website, which I'm sure you'll have linked somewhere, uh, Ravi, and mm -hmm. uh, they can sign up. It's called the Women Founders Launchpad. Um, and you'll also join our Slack community um, through there. And then of course, if you already have like a prototype, you can uh, uh, you can join the Launchpad too, but uh, you can apply to other programs, whether it's the bootcamp, fast track or incubator, you'll see the different stages and you can apply to whichever one you feel is uh, best fit for you. Cool. Uh, being a founder uh, yourself now, right? Could you speak on the challenges there? Um, can you talk? With, can you shout out your company first of all? What are you working yeah, on? Yeah, uh, 
Yeah. So uh, I two years ago, I started my own company called Scale Without Borders, uh, which is a platform for newcomers in tech. So helping um, specifically newcomer uh, tech talent access uh, resources they need. Um, of course, as an immigrant newcomer myself, uh, I felt there were uh, there was a gap there to help newcomers access the resources. Um, so the challenges that uh, I've faced um, specifically have been around uh, uh, finding, um, so, so first of all, finding the right people. Um, and, and I think I've leveraged sort of like my own network to help with that. And then uh, I think one thing is really, uh, and that's uh, one thing is really important as well. It's figuring out your business model and finding your product market fit. There's no way around that. You have to go through that. Uh, but I do think I've been very passionate about what I'm doing. So that has helped a lot. And really, again, perseverance is you get to specific milestones based on, you know, how how much grit you have. So, um, yeah, that's where I'm at right now. And anything I learn, I, I share with founders um, and, and, and anything I learn from other founders and, and vice versa. Amazing. Nula, um, Nula, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for your time. This has been this has been, uh, this has been great. I, I feel like I learned a lot. Um, the, the the program you're running is uh, tremendous. DMZ, of course, uh, is keeps bringing uh, Canada's greatest talent together. I uh, love to see uh, the more founders uh, that that come through the program. And again, thank you so much for coming here and sharing your insights. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's been fun being here too. Perfect. And for everyone who listened in, thank you. And uh, check out the DMZ founders program, Women Founders Program. <laughs>